Well, it's good to be back. And I got my timer at the clock. So I'm going to give you my sermonette this morning. It's a privilege. Man, this is weird. This is really weird. But the Lord is in control. Let me ask you a question. What has happened to your joy? Jack Miller, a PCA pastor who wrote the Sonship Curriculum, used to ask that question from Galatians 4 or 5. What has happened to your joy? Pandemic? Politics? Racial injustice? We are angry. We are depressed. We are anxious. What has happened? to your joy. I think the Apostle Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1, if you return there, I think the Apostle Peter is dealing with this in chapter 1 in some respects. And I'm going to read verses 6 through 9. 1 Peter chapter 1, 6 through 9. He says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, attaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The Apostle Peter, as you know, if you're familiar with this great book, is writing to Christian believers who are under great stress. He mentions suffering explicitly in our text, but in every chapter in this book, all five chapters, he mentions suffering multiple times in each chapter. Only a few, most importantly though, refer to the suffering of Christ. Most of them refer to the suffering of believers. But our passage does something weird. It mingles suffering with joy. That's not something the average person can understand, I think. I think it doesn't make sense to the average person. But it's important to us as Christians because their suffering, like ours, could lead to depression. You won't stop cynicism, even skepticism. And, more, and worse, the worst of all, apostasy from faith in Jesus. Because when it comes down to it, suffering beats us down. It hurts, and, we're, and we want to be relieved of it. And sometimes you're, we're not relieved. The apostle Peter needed to remind the Christians in Asia Minor, he needed to remind them that God has given them in the midst of their suffering an indestructible joy. 
Now, why is that joy indestructible? I got a few minutes here to, to just kind of work this out with you. Why is the joy indestructible? Because first of all, we rejoice in the security of our salvation. Notice verse 6 through 8. He says, in this you rejoice. Now the question is, what is the this? <laughs> now back up. Joy here speaks of a, it's a great joy, by the way. It's a radiant gladness. It does not imply a cheesy smile on your face all the time. It does not imply that you're walking around the campus with your hands lifted high all the time. But there is a deep gladness that is, that is, that is put in us in the midst of all of life, especially in the midst of our sufferings. You say, but Pastor Kevin, Rev, Kev, man, I mean, joy. Why is that so important? I'm glad you asked that question. Thank you for asking that question. Joy is essential to the Christian life. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Now, I think that order is important in Galatians. I think, I think Peter was, Paul was thinking, okay, what are the most important things I need to remind them about the Spirit, what he will produce in us? The first thing he says is love. We get that, but then he says joy. Paul writes in, in the Romans that the kingdom of heaven is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Nehemiah told the people of his day who were sad because of their sins, he says, no, no. This is a day of rejoicing. He said, the joy of the Lord is our strength. When David had sinned against Bathsheba and been convicted, and later he wrote this wonderful psalm, Psalm 51, he actually, in that psalm, prays to God in it and says to God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. It was, joy is important. Joy is crucial to the Christian life. It's better than just happiness. It's stronger than that. Happiness depends on circumstances many times. You're, we're, happy when, we're, we're happy when we weren't under pandemic. We were happy then. But joy is not dependent on circumstances. It's dependent on the security of our salvation in verse 6. Well, he backs up, actually. What, what is this? What is this? He tells us, I'm going to summarize verses 3 through 5. Summarize. What is the this he's talking about that causes him to rejoice? He says, it is through the Father's great mercy that we are born again with a hope through Christ's resurrection, giving us, watch this, an indestructible inheritance that is kept and guarded by God's power through our faith in him, which inheritance will be revealed in the last time. That's what he's talking about. He's looking at the work of Christ and what Christ has done. First of all, is that your testimony? Are you a recipient of this work of Christ? I don't care that you go to Covenant College. Are you a recipient of the work of Christ? I don't care that you, all, that you can say out loud in all things Christ preeminent. I don't care. Are you a recipient of the work of Christ? Do you know about what 
Peter is writing about. You see, if you do, you have a whole lot to rejoice in. When Peter, when, when, remember in the Old, in the Old Testament, um, God gave the people real estate. They call it the promised land. And that was their inheritance. That's the old covenant people. But God has promised a greater inheritance for the old covenant, new covenant people wrapped up in Jesus. We have a greater inheritance than a little bit of real estate that we call Israel. God has promised us a new heavens and new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness and there will never be any death, no pandemics, no racial injustice, no depression, no anxiety. There will be just God and us rejoicing in his entire creation, exploring it and, and, and still nurturing and doing what God Oh my goodness, brothers and sisters, have you seen a glimpse of your inheritance? You're worried about getting a house. And a nice uh, to live as good as your parents live, maybe. And God wants to give you and has given you so much more. We have an inheritance in Christ that can never, remember Israel was conquered how many times? How many times they, they were, were pieces of the land taken away? They were even thrown out of the land because of their sin. And even to this day, they don't own all the land. At least the nation, the, 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 the physical descendants of Abraham. We have an inheritance that can never be overtaken. Can never, we can never be kicked out of it. We don't even pay taxes on it because Jesus has already bought it. Nothing, in other words, he says nothing can destroy the work of Christ on your behalf. Hence, nothing can destroy your joy in Jesus. And because of that, therefore, we can rejoice. This inheritance, when we when we see it, when we, when, we, when we believe it, when we trust in the work of Christ and that this place, this, this earth will be reformed and, and reshaped and, 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 and renewed in a powerful way by the power of God's presence. We rejoice in that. He says in verses, second part of verse 6 and verse 7 that the inheritance allows us to rejoice through our trial. We rejoice in the security of our salvation, even though Peter says we are facing various trials, various kinds of trials. Of course, they experience some type of persecution, and so do we. Insults, intimidation, grumblings, jail, death. Some of that we have not experienced, but certainly we know if we are, if we are too out overt with our faith in Jesus, there will be pushback. I'm not talking about how you vote. I'm talking about living faith in Jesus. When, when people see the, the life of Christ in us, when we refuse to go along to get along, you know what I mean? 
When we talk about a, a sexual ethic that is foreign to this nation and to this world, when we, in other words, we refuse to sleep around. Your, your, your peers who don't understand that, well, you will get pushback. So yes, we, we experience some of that, but, but he says various kinds of trials. I'm convinced that he's talking about all that we suffer in this fallen world. Health issues, economic struggles, social trials, pandemics. And in this country, I keep coming back to it, but it could, this is what trial, racial injustice that haunts this nation because it's in our very DNA. Various kinds of trials. And notice that Peter tells us, <laughs> he helps us a little bit already. We rejoice in the midst because we recognize that they're only for a little while. How can Peter say only a little while? I mean, for years, this is toward the end of his life, and for years, a few decades, he has been haunted and hunted and traced by those who hate Jesus and wanted to silence him a little while. Perspective. We need perspective. Because in this life you may get 80 years. Okay? Maybe 90. That's nothing compared to eternity. It's not even a blip. Perspective. It, it, it hurts. And it's, it's, if you feel it, and it feels like forever, but brothers and sisters, whatever we're going through, it's just for a little while, and he will come. It's just for a little while, and it may not feel like it, and it hurts, yes, but brothers and sisters, perspective. Are you looking towards the inheritance? Paul drank the same Kool-Aid Peter did in, 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 in 2 Corinthians toward the end of chapter 4. He says, for these light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs them all. Light, momentary, compared to eternal weight of glory. Do you see the glory? Do you see the glory? Are we so myopic, nearsighted? Have, have, have we allowed the struggles of this life to make us short-sighted and we, we can't see past the pain in front of us? Listen, brothers and sisters, that's why we have the scriptures and Jesus wants to speak to you and speak to me and give us vision of what is to come in him. And you have a foretaste of it right now because he's given you a down payment called the Holy Spirit. Just a little while, you're going to face these various trials. And there's no way around it. There's no way around it. My pastor, James Boyce, used to say, grace gives his power 
not to go around trials, but to go through them. Through them. God's grace takes us through. And Peter, but Peter adds that these trials are actually God's testing. I know we don't, some people don't like that thought, but I'm glad to know he's in control. I'm glad to know this is just God's at work in the midst of these trials. He says in verse 7, so that, the, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God is at work. Listen, someone said to me, this pandemic thing, it, it's, it's like God said to the whole world, go to your room so I can talk to my church. <laughs> Oh, yes, I'm looking forward to it being over, but I don't want to waste it either. What is God doing right now in the midst of this? He is testing. Will you trust me? Will you trust me? Will you trust me? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. What does he want? He wants you to trust him. And in trusting him in the midst of this fire, our faith <laughs> is heated up in the dross, as it were, and the, you know, the, the, the foreign metals that are not important. I'm talking about smelting here a little bit. But the idea here is that your faith is being purified and perfected in the midst of these struggles, in the midst of this pain, in the midst of this suffering. God is at work. Don't waste this moment. Hebrews 12 reminds us, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Besides this, We've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they, earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, God, disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant but later it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those, to those, listen, to those who have been trained by it. Whatever we're going through at this moment, it, it, it is God is training. What does Hebrews 2 remind us? That the Son, Jesus, learned obedience through what he suffered. That blows my mind. But that's part, that's the incarnation talking. The Lagos, the eternal word, taken on human flesh, and he learns obedience in his humanity through what he suffered. Brothers and sisters, if that's true of Jesus, it has to be true of us. God is molding and shaping 
And these trials will reveal what manner of faith we have. Have we believed in vain, empty? Or do you see the glory of Jesus? Do you see the majesty of Jesus? Do you see, do you, have you experienced the true love of Jesus? Have you, have, have, have you been swept off your feet by the Nazarene? Listen, family, if, you, if you've experienced his love, your faith is genuine. It will survive this time. It will make it. It will go because God is keeping you. Not keeping yourself. He's keeping you. I got to end this lastly. More, we rejoice in our intimate relationship with Jesus. In the midst of it. That's where it goes. Verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you did not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Listen, we are in a love affair with the Son of God himself. He says that we love Jesus, we believe in Jesus, and we rejoice in Jesus, though we have never seen Jesus. He's writing to these people in the first century. They didn't know, they never saw Jesus, just like us. So why do they love someone they've never seen? They love him because their salvation was won for them by his loving sacrifice of himself for them. We love because he first loved us, right? They love Jesus because they've been hit by his Cupid arrow. They've been hit as, by his love. They love Jesus because they are standing in the grace of God and they recognize that they don't deserve it. They never deserved it. Their mama didn't deserve it. Nobody in their family deserved it, no matter how righteous you we think they were. No, the love of God comes to those who are unlovely. And so we love him back. <laughs> we love him back. Have never seen him, but the Spirit of God makes him real to us. The Spirit of God, who takes up residence in the people of God, makes the Son of God real because he is real. Do you love him? Ah, oh, do you love him? Jesus asked Peter that three times because Peter denied him three times, and Jesus wanted to affirm him, <laughs> bring him back all the way. Do you love me? And Peter, Peter was like, you know I love you, Lord. <laughs> His love was weak, but that's okay. Because Jesus' love is strong. Our love is small, but his love is huge. It's huge. 
We will always be swimming and in the love of God and learning. We will never get to the end of it. We will never see the shore of that love because it's so immense. And that love pulls out our love for him. And that, and that love allows us to trust him because you tend to trust people that you love. So, I got one minute, so I'm done. What's happened to your joy? Where did it go? Are you so busy being angry? Are you so busy? And I know, I understand anger. I understand it. Are you so, but, but are you consumed? Are you so busy online? Just, ah, spewing forth? There's no joy there. Turn off your social media for a minute and meditate on the love of God for us in Christ Jesus. Turn off your social media and remind yourself of the inheritance that he has won for us. Remind yourself of the glory that the Son of God has kept for you and you will get it no matter what happens, you will get that inheritance. Father, oh Lord, restore the joy of our salvation. Bring us back to gladness in you. Forgive us for letting it go. Thank you that we can reach out for Jesus and he will restore that joy. Do it for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. Ah.